Hello and welcome to another episode of FTU Life After the Military. I'm your host, Tony Rodriguez. It's a beautiful Saturday uh, here in North Carolina. I'm assuming everywhere else in the United States. And today I have the honor and the privilege of being joined by Tim. Tim and I were in the 82nd, what was it, about 18 years ago? I think. Yeah, I think about that. And I think that's the last time we spoke, too. I tracked Tim down on uh, LinkedIn. Um, uh, Chris, um, he was on here earlier in the, in, I think like episode seven. Um, it's titled Chris from the 82nd. Um, we're friends. Tim is friends with Chris and reached out and see if Tim would come on here and just talk about how he transitioned out of the military and anything that's on his mind. So, Tim, I'm going to pass it on over to you. Uh, thanks for having me, first off. Uh, honored that you that you asked me. Uh, I really appreciate that. Uh, yeah, so I, where to start? Uh, let's see, I joined, I enlisted in the Army in May of 2000. Uh, went to, what is it now? Called Fort Moore, I believe. It used to be Fort Benning. I can't keep Yeah, so anymore. before we go on, do, do you know where FTU comes from? Actually, I don't know. What kind of so answer. FTU is fat, tired, and useless. <laughs> okay. And I got it from Fort Benning uh, at basic training. Uh, you know the, the little test that you get when you showed up to reception? The little PT test? Yes. Um, I remember doing that, right? The, what, 25 push-ups, 25 sit-ups, and the, like, mile run in, like, run. five hours, whatever they gave you to do it, right? And yeah. I remember doing the push-ups and the sit-ups, and I he could hear the drill sergeants, well, got another one for FTU. It's like, okay. <laughs> and then this kid, both the push-ups and the sit-ups, he had problems, right? And the, it's like, you're two for two. It looks like you're pretty close to batting 100 or 1,000 here, buddy. You're going to FTU. I, me, never, not knowing anything about the military, I thought it's like, wow, maybe these guys are going to, like, some special program. So it could be, like, Chuck Norris, you know? <laughs> yeah, I thought that's what it was for. It wasn't until like week seven of basic training that drill sergeant said, no, FTU stands for fat, tired, and useless. Some, that's how some of you show up. It's like, whoa, okay. And so that's where it comes from. What you okay, okay. I remember that test. And I remember, so before I joined the Army, I was a slug. Um, I was a thin slug, but a slug nonetheless. Um, and when I got there, I remember the run portion. I thought I was going to have a heart attack because, you know, I was a smoker and never having run any distance or, or, or you know, trained going pre-basic uh, training. I literally thought I was going to have a heart attack because I remember they taught, they, they told you how to calculate your heart rate while you're running and when you're done. And I remember doing that afterwards and I'm like, oh, I'm way over my max target heart rate. I'm going to die. Little that I know. Yeah, and I thought FT was appropriate after I got out of the military because um, I saw a bunch of my friends who had retired before me. It's like, bro, you put on like fifty pounds, and not in the good, not the good fifty pounds. You know, it's like, <laughs> and I started feeling a little tired because I had so much free time on my hands, and like, man, I hope I don't start putting on the weight, and so. I thought that would be appropriate. Like you start out with FTU when you come in and then when you leave, if you're not careful, if you don't have some sort of plan, you might revert back to being FTU. Go back, go back yeah. to FTU. That's fun. That's fun. Um, 
Yeah, yeah. I, I joined in May 2000. Uh, went to Benning for basic training. Uh, then I went to uh, Redstone Arsenal for AIT because, like you, I was a 27 Echo uh, missile system maintainer for tow and javelin. I remember in AIT they also trained us on the Dragon missile system, um, which was like nobody was using it anymore. Not even like reserve or guard units. They showed us some films of that of that missile flying, and you could literally just knock it out of the air with your hand. It was it was the slowest thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, yeah, uh, spent about six months at Redstone for AIT. Uh, then from there went to Jump School, at back to Benning, Fort Moore. Uh, in February, which was miserable because it was cold and wet the whole time. And uh, then on to Fort Bragg, uh, Fort Liberty now, right? Yeah. I believe is what it is. Yeah. I, I don't know if I can ever know it as anything other than Fort Bragg in my head. You know what? For the people who were there, we can call it whatever we want. Just like they renamed the streets and I'm like, hey, you got to go down to this street. It's like, what? And they have to tell me, go down to Riley. Okay, just tell me what they were called before, because I don't, I don't know the new names. It's, they renamed all well, the has gone. It's not Longstreet anymore. If it was a Confederate colonel, general, Confederate officer, the name was changed. It's like, that, no, that's, that's fine. Funny. I'm not trying to offend anyone. I just don't know the new names. So tell me what the old name was. Right. Well, that's, yeah. If I if I ever go back, I'll be I'll be completely lost then. Um, what was the uh, the Yadkin 500, is that, is that still there? Yeah, that's still there. It's actually worse because they uh, can extend it to 295. So they're trying to actually connect it from the 95, so it goes up to Fort Bragg and then loops back down to the southern part of uh, the 95 past Holt Mills. Right, So they're continuing to build it, but now it's just traffic all over the place. It's like as soon as you get on that 295, it's like, as when you hit the on-ramp, you better be doing 70. Because when you get on the highway, you better be doing 90. <laughs> it's like, bro, I feel what like are that's, you doing? I feel like that's a, a progression that's going on everywhere. Because the freeway is here in, uh, in the Phoenix area the same way. If, don't be in the left lane unless you're prepared to go 85. And, and I totally understand in Phoenix. However, in a small town like Fayetteville... Where are you going? <laughs> you're shipping out your crystal meth or something? Like you're in that big of a rush to get into your dealer or wherever it's going? Like, bro, slow down. That's true. Because like, going 35, you can get across Fayetteville in 20 minutes. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's, you know, but it's, I chose to stay here because I'd much rather be here than go back to California. The big city life, unless it's Washington D.C., is not for me. No, I, I, I feel you. I feel like I, I live on the outskirts of the city. I don't live downtown area, or I'm in a suburb of Phoenix town on the east, the east Valley, because people, you know. So Tim, you were um, you deployed to your, you know, I'm, I'm one of those freaks that I only went to Iraq. I went three times, right? But you. Okay got the full spectrum. You got to see Afghanistan and Iraq. I did, yeah. So, a lot of sand, obviously. Uh, no beaches. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so uh, uh, I deployed twice with the 82nd. Uh, first went to Afghanistan in July of 2002. Waited there for like about six months, a little over six months. Came home in December, I believe it was, maybe early January. And then we all deployed to Iraq, you know, during the invasion in 2003. So we were home for just a few months before we left out for there. Um, and then I, I left active duty. I transitioned to civilian life from active duty in, I want to say, July 2006. And I, I stayed there in Fayetteville for probably about six months. Um, and then I came back home to Phoenix. I was home for a little while. Uh, I had decided that I was going to, uh, I, I still had some time left on my IIR um, contract. And I got word that they were probably going to pull me back off IRR back to active duty. And I was like, well, you know, I don't really want to do that. So I opted to join the reserves uh, to get ahead of that and change career fields into civil affairs. Uh, and then I deployed three more times with civil affairs, uh, two more times to Iraq and another time to Afghanistan or five total. Um, I ended up doing another eight years in the reserves and then transitioned out again in 2015. Wow. That's the Thanks, because, you know, going to Iraq three times, that was enough. I, I, I don't know how you did that many rotations out there. Um, you know, when I joined the reserves, it was a, a different animal because just, you know, civil affairs is such a, a, there's not enough people in civil affairs to go around, basically. So it's very highly deployed MOS in the Army. Um, I'm sure even more so on the active duty side. So I had the opportunity to basically, I could, I could volunteer with other units and get temporarily attached to them and go wherever the need, you know, wherever they had a need for us, which was both a, a, a blessing and a curse, I guess. Um, it's not like my unit sent me out that much. I, I opted to go just because I wasn't a big fan of garrison life in the reserves. Not that there's a whole lot of time there, but I don't think that the time is necessarily capitalized the best all the time. And I just figured if I'm going to be in the army, I might as well be doing my job instead of, you know, quote unquote training to do my job. Um, so I just, I just offered to go wherever they would send me, if they would have me. So you transitioned, I guess, twice then. Yeah. Can you talk yeah. about a little bit about uh, that? Yeah, so when I transitioned the first time in 2007, or 2006, uh, there was the uh, the ACAP program at Bragg. And honestly, in hindsight, I, I look at that and it really feels like more of a formality than anything else. I don't think there was, there were some resources available, uh, not nearly as many as there are now. Uh, there's a lot of organizations up there now, NGOs, uh, along with other government programs and stuff for veterans that are transitioning out for you know, to help them uh, fight work or, or healthcare or what have you. Um, and I just, there wasn't as many in 2007. There were some still there, but I didn't take advantage of them. So this is a cautionary tale. Don't do what I did. Um, when I exited in 2006, I, I didn't have a great plan. Um, probably didn't have much of a plan at all. I was just, I was just really ready to be done and move on to whatever the next chapter was going to be. 
Uh, I think when I got out, I had ooh, it was close to three months of terminal leave, um, which was a nice cushion to have for as far as pay goes and stuff like that. It gives you some time to look around and not feel so under the gun. Um, and I ended up staying in Fayetteville for about six months. Um, oddly enough, I started playing online poker as a job, uh, which was fun at first. But when you when you do it as a job and you're just you know playing the math, it really kind of sucks all the fun out of it, and really just becomes a grind that you don't want to do. You should double forward to. So that was what uh, kind of convinced me to move back to Phoenix, uh, and I got a job working for uh, an FAA certified uh, repair station for avionics um, in Tempe, uh, which was a great place to work. Uh, we were like a, a, a small satellite station for the main company in Miami. We were a small group. I think we had about 16 people there um, leveraging what I learned in, you know, AIT the first time repairing missile systems and stuff was able to transition that over into uh, avionics repair job. On the civilian side. Okay. Did so? Did you uh, use like any of your GI Bill at all, or the VRE program? Anything from the VA? You know, at that point, at that point, I hadn't used any of my GI Bill stuff. Uh, yeah, the post nine eleven benefits. I hadn't used any of that yet. And one thing that I will tell transitioning service members to do is uh, make sure you do that exit uh, medical interviews, medical evaluations. Don't let that go. Make sure all of your health stuff is documented before you get out. Because I will tell you from experience that it is 100 times harder to do that stuff after you're out. It can be a nightmare dealing with the bureaucracy of the VA. Um, in my experience, it's, their default is to deny your claim without even looking at the evidence. Um, even if you have evidence to support your claims. Uh, the first time I submitted any kind of health-related stuff, they it was deny first, and then if you come back and you know appeal it, then they'll actually look at the evidence that you submitted. That may not be true for everybody, but that was my experience with them. Um, and it's still a battle that I'm working through with them right now. And it's been, it's been a long one um, and not necessarily a fun one. So definitely take care of most, most of that stuff before you get out, if you can, because it will pay dividends in the long run and make it that much easier for you. Yeah, so it's interesting that you say that um, because, yeah, you're right. Um, VAs, it, it's rough, right? It's rough dealing with them. But on the other side, when I was getting out, I was uh, part of the SFL tap, the ACAP process, is I had to go do the VA meeting, right? And that's the one that you had to be there in person, you couldn't do it virtually. But the only problem is, and why she has the job, I don't know. But she was a retired 92 series sergeant major. Well, what's 92 series? Supply, warehouse supply, cooks, right. riggers, fuelers, right? So I have this lady who retired after 32 years of being in the military telling me, like, I don't know why active duty military people are going to uh, sit call to be evaluated. That doesn't have anything to do with your VA. It's like, you're the biggest idiot on the face of the planet. <laughs> it's like, I, 
Yeah, because if there's no documentation, you have nothing to back it up. The reason why the VA just said, yeah, here, whatever, you're good, was because I went and finally, after 20 years, I finally went in um, to sick call, right? Because I, I hated going to sick call because I knew they weren't going to do anything for me. It wasn't until I got pinned E8 that I said, I'm going to go in because now, now you're going to deal with me. And right. took a year, but got MRIs on my shoulder and my spine and my hip. And they said, yeah, you're... Shoulders both need to be replaced. Your left hip needs to be replaced. Uh, it's a miracle you're not in constant pain from your legs because your L1 to your S1 is just compressed. It looks like uh, the jelly donut shooting out of a, a the jelly shooting out of a donut. <laughs> it's like that's what it looks like. It's like you should be your sciatic nerves are just being are compressed every second of every day. You should be. I don't know how you get out of bed. You should be. And so, yeah, when the VA saw that, they're like, yeah, we're not going to give you a hard time. Like, just move along, buddy. Don't come back. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, and trying to, you know, prove your claims, and, and it, it just takes so much more time to do it after the fact because now you have to go to, you know, a doctor's appointment that, that they schedule for you, but they don't contact you ahead of time to schedule. So, which makes no sense to me. Uh, because they only like it, let's say let's say you have to reschedule an appointment. They only allow you to reschedule one appointment, even though they'll have two or three appointments on that ticket. So it's just yeah, and then it cancels the whole thing out, and you have to start all over. So it's just yeah, it's I don't know who designed that system, but uh, not a fan. Not a fan. So transition out of the. Um... Reserves, what, what's that like? Because I don't know anybody who's done that. You know, it was, uh, I want to say there's even, again, my experience solely, this, this is probably not everybody's experience. Uh, it was unceremonious and, you know, there, there wasn't a whole lot of anything. They didn't even give you the option uh, to, to, to go through and do like a, a medical exit evaluation or or it was it was just all right i guess you're done thanks for thanks for stopping by you know it was it, it was and part of that might have been me just because you know i was i was an e6 at the time uh, i had 15 years total in uh, and i could have retired you know five to seven years from there with good time in the reserves because they don't count you know calendar years in the reserves count your active duty time or what they call good years that we you know would marry with your active duty time um but i just everyone was, was becoming so risk averse in our combat zones you know and it, it was just I, I got tired of people you know the same people who paid me to be there and do the job in the first place kind of hamstringing us and not really letting us do our jobs at all like you know it's our job to go into those contested areas with the kinetic forces sometimes and 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 bring those areas back to you know uh, a higher opinion of their local government and, and leaders and stuff and if we're not going into those areas doing that then what are we even doing in the first place so i just, I just kind of got tired of of the bureaucracy of it and the indecision and the, the lack of calculated risk and you know just said it wasn't for me anymore and decided to leave. 
Um, I did get a call from the battalion commander asking me, you know, why an E6 uh, about to be moved on to E7 with 15 years and was leaving uh, because it didn't make sense to him. And it shouldn't have made sense to him. And I, you know, I, I gave him all the information that, that we're talking about right now. And he understood and he wished me well, but there wasn't a whole lot of support uh, given as far as transitioning goes or, or, or help with that that they made me aware of. I didn't, at, at that point in life, I was, you know, I was fairly established in my life. And I didn't really need as much support from them to transition because being in the reserves, you're, you're still a civilian most of the time anyway. So I had, you know, a decent job. I had, I knew what I wanted in career and life and stuff like that. So being later in life, it, it was easier for me because I was already more established. But if it was a younger, a younger soldier, junior enlisted, who only had, you know, two or four years in, who was 22 or whatever, um, you know, I, I, I feel like they could do a better job, honestly. And, and some of that onus is on, you know, would be on me or on the transitioning shoulder to, to seek out those resources because the world doesn't give a shit about you. You know, it doesn't owe you anything. Um, and it's happy, happily fine to see you fail if you, if you want to fail. Um, so I, I think a lot of that is on the individual to, to go out and search out and seek out those resources because they're out there. You just have to look for them. And with the way information flows now, with the internet, I mean, it's really a Google search away and you can find whatever you need. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of Google, right? I think it's awesome. And then I found, um, after the Super Bowl, I saw that, uh, commercial for Microsoft for Copilot, the new AI. That thing is awesome because not only does it give you the information, now it gives you the references where it got the information. It's like, I would hate to be a university professor because now you could just write a whole paper and now you have your references right there. Right. Like that combined with like ChatGPT, yeah. like it's, it's over. It's over. Um, yeah, I haven't, I haven't tried Copilot yet. I, I remember seeing the commercial. It, it, I've, I've read good things about it. AI is yeah, going to a crazy place. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I think, you know, there are, there are tons of resources out there. All you have to do is perform. They're, e they're easy to find nowadays. Um, yeah. So did you end up using the GI Bill or any, any education or like I said, that VR and E, I like that VR and E program, um, because it helps people, uh, veterans with retraining. The one kick is like, you have to not be employed to get into the program. They, they're not allowed to tell you that, but that's the truth about it. If you have a job, you're not gonna get in because the whole point is to help veterans get a job, not get a better job. Not yeah. get a better job, that seems kind of dirty. Yeah, and it's like, I've tried two times and the lady's yeah. like, yeah, like, please stop applying because <laughs> I hate telling you no. <laughs> That's, yeah, that's kind of weird. I mean, I, I kind of get it. I, they want to, you know, I guess put those resources to the, the most, the veterans that are most in need. But uh, I don't know. It seems kind of dirty. Seems kind of dirty. Um, I actually, I didn't even, I have not even heard of that program. Um, I'm not familiar with that one. I did use, I have used uh, my, my GI Bill education benefits. Not all of them. I still have some available to me. Uh, I went to Embry-Riddle for a little while, uh, studied electrical engineering. Uh, just to help, you know, with my career path in the, in the civilian sector. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, 
I'm a, a huge nerd. Uh, I, technology and science is my where I live. You know, research uh, is my my passion. Learning stuff about science and technology, things I don't know. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, 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 that's in, in the aviation and avionics and aerospace industry uh, is where I've chosen to basically put my hat uh, as a, as a career field. Uh, I started off after I transitioned uh, with that company as an avionics technician, was there for about 10 years uh, while I was in the reserves and they were very gracious to uh, let me deploy all those times and leave and come back and still have a job. I mean, not that they really have a choice legally, I believe they're obligated to, uh, but they were very understanding and, you know, 90% uh, of the people that worked at that company were all veterans from, from all generations. So, you know, they got it, they understood it. Uh, some of them were deployed at the same time we were in Iraq, uh, in 03. So, yeah, very forgiving, very forgiving. Um, and there I went, I transitioned to a different company uh, in the same field uh, or similar field. Started there uh, as a uh, avionics lead, started running the shop. Um, and they were also a, uh, a small defense contractor for larger tier one defense contractors was there for about six years and then transitioned into the job I'm in now, which uh, is a, I'm a field service engineer for automated test equipment that again, tests avionics and stuff like that. So yeah, the, the, the technology sectors, I think are a great place for veterans to look uh, transitioning from the military, especially if you have a technical background because employers love veterans. Um, they have usually the work ethic, they can show up on time, you know, the whole do the right thing when nobody's watching uh, type of mentality. Uh, and and they, they know how to work in a variety of different situations. They can adapt well. And that's something that I think you don't normally get from your average everyday civilian who hasn't been in the military. And I think employers definitely recognize that. And the tech field is only going to be growing. And there's a huge shortage of people to fill those roles, um, spe specifically I remember when I was working for my last company and I'd be trying to hire technicians to repair avionics and nobody, nobody goes out to learn that anymore. It's, there's, there's a huge component of, of that workforce that is getting ready to retire and we're about to lose tons and tons of people and, and uh, institutional knowledge is going to go with them. So we need younger technicians to fill that role and, and step up and get in there because we just don't have them. There's just a huge shortage of aerospace technicians. Well, yeah, I mean, why would you do something like that? That requires a little bit of time and effort. I mean, if you could just be Instagram famous, you know, or TikTok famous. Sure. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, everybody everybody wants to be internet famous. Man. Uh, everyone wants to be uh, an influencer, you know, a Kardashian content creator. Yeah, I mean, um, sure. I mean, if you have... You know what? I don't even know. I don't know what, what it takes to be a TikTok uh, influencer. Yeah, I don't know what, I, I don't even have a TikTok. I am not the target audience. I know I am not the target audience. <laughs> I also am not the target audience. Um, yeah, the whole thing about social media is it's not real. It's, it's curated clips of people's moments and lives designed to grab your attention. 
And I guarantee that if you follow those people around with a camera for 24 hours straight, it would be very, very boring. Um, and it wouldn't sell anything, you know? So nothing, nothing on social media is real. It's again, it's just, it's curated content designed to, to wow you and get your attention to sell you stuff. Uh, and remember if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. Yeah, it's a good way to look at it. I, ne I never thought of it like that. Places like, oh, like every social media, you know, they, they're, they're, they're selling your attention data to the highest bidder you know, for advertisements. Companies like Robinhood, who is, you know, uh, letting the, the unwashed masses invest in the stock market with, you know, uh, fractional shares and not charging you any brokerage fees. Well, guess what? They're selling that data to the market movers and market makers who are trading off your bags and taking your money. I'm going to say, so is that why on Facebook I get a bunch of ads for golf clubs and pie? Probably. <laughs> yeah. The, uh... There's a lot of pastry ads come up on my Facebook feed. <laughs> I get a lot of Taco Bell ads. Yeah, for the same reason. For the same reason. It's just, it's scary the way that, you know, uh, they can follow you around the internet and try to sell you stuff just from the cookies. And in your phone, there's something called an, an advertising ID where they can literally follow you around the internet and know where you visited. And that's why you see what's that you looked at a Facebook post about, I don't know, off road lights for your truck or whatever. And then you're on Google searching for something completely different and you go to a web page and there's an ad for off-road truck life for your truck, you know, or, or something that you talked about with somebody and didn't even search for. So since we're, since we're like down this road, I have to ask you, uh, did, and I don't care one way or the other, um, but I'm curious, did you end up getting the COVID vaccination? What's your opinion on that? Um, so I went, so when COVID first happened, what was, was that early 2020, yeah. right? Before that, I hadn't even, I hadn't been sick since 2018. And I, I didn't get sick and I didn't get COVID. Uh, it was, I only got sick for the first time last year. So I went a good, you know, several years without no flu, nothing like that. Probably because I'm mostly a homebody and a hermit. Uh, I, I don't, like my wife and I, we're not, we're both hermits. And we're both fine hanging out at home. You know, we'll go to the movies, go out to dinner, stuff like that. But we're not, we're not big extroverts. We're not, you know, we don't have a need to go out in public all the time and, and, and be with large groups of people. Um, I did, when I did get COVID, it was, it was about four or five months ago, I think, for the first time. I, I, it honestly, it wasn't that bad. Was that because of the vaccine lessening the symptoms? I don't know, maybe, uh, but it felt like, you know, I had a fever for a day and I just felt kind of tired. It was really low grade symptoms. Um, and then about, what was it? Probably about a month after that, I got the flu, which was way worse than COVID was for me. Um, and that put me on my butt for like two or three days. Um, I don't know. Uh, the reason I decided to get the vaccine was because the my my dad is high risk. My dad has cancer, uh, terminal cancer that he's gonna. There's no cure for the cancer that he has. 
and he has a lot of respiratory issues. He has COPD, and I didn't want to. I would do whatever I could to help mitigate the risk of me being around him, um, especially like now with my job. Now I travel quite a bit, so I'm on airplanes and air, airports a lot, um, and I, I didn't want to expose him to, you know, elevated risk if I didn't have to. So it was worth it for me to do it to, to not expose him to that. Yeah, no. Um, so I was still in when it came um, when the first vaccines came out, and uh, when I transitioned to civil affairs, I, I volunteered. I was in civil affairs for like six years, and then I volunteered um, to go to Sockham, right, to be a medic, right. So the army decided that all medical personnel they were priority, so they were going to get the first batch. I said, and it was still volunteer. It's like if you want it, you can get it. If not, don't get it. I said, yeah, I'll get it. Why not? Everybody asked me, why are you getting it? It's like this is it. This this is where I draw the line. It's like, they gave me smallpox. They hit, right, they hit right, me up yeah. with anthrax when it wasn't authorized. Nobody seemed to have a problem with anthrax. It, it wasn't a choice. It wasn't a choice yeah. then. It was, you were getting it's it. Like, yeah, that was, I didn't understood all the, the, the flap that everybody was, was, was giving about, you know, well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have to take this. Like, your government property, when, when you take that oath and you sign on the dotted line, you don't, the constitution no longer applies to you. Yeah. You don't have freedom of speech. You don't, you don't have those choices while you're an active. I, I had people say, well, they're putting nanites in it and they're tracking you. It's like, well, if they want to track me, I mean, they can track me off of my phone. You know, how about the, the chip that's in my ID, my credit cards, my phone can watch me and my computer. And here's yeah. the other thing. I, I don't really think it, I'm so important that anybody wants to track me. So if you want to track me, go right ahead. Right. I, I really don't care. Um, so, yeah, the only problem I had was they said, okay, you need to be at Womack at 3.30 in the morning. And I said, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm a master sergeant now. I'm not going anywhere at 3.30 in the morning. It's like, well, you have to. It's like, no, I will not. <laughs> 7 o'clock, okay. 3.30, no. So I went a week later and got it. At 7.30 in the morning. I was like, yeah, I'll be there at 7.30, not at 3.30. You're, you're insane. That's, yeah, that's crazy. Like, I don't even understand why they would have to make they said, that early. That's the only time we can get you guys in. What What is it? Everybody dying all of a sudden on Fort Bragg? Like, <laughs> if that's the case, then who cares about this vaccine? It's right? it's a little late. Like, does it only work before the sun comes up? So that was my only issue. It's like, again, I'm, if people want to get it, go ahead, get it. If you don't, I don't care. Like, when I was first starting, I had people telling me, it's like, I'm not going to get it. It's like, okay, like, look, you're an adult. If you want to get it, get it. If not, don't get it. I'm not going to get upset, but this is what you have to understand. One, please don't bullshit me and say, well, you know, I've done the research. It's like, were you in a lab? Were you in a lab for the past six months? <laughs> no? Then shut up. You didn't do any research. You just don't want to get it, and that's fine. By research, do you mean opinions you yeah. heard on and, the internet? But, and this is what I told everybody, if you don't want to get it, don't get it. You're an adult, but you're being told you have to get it or you're not going to deploy. It's like, because the countries that you're going to are requiring it. It's a requirement by uh, the TSOC. So don't come crying that you can't deploy. So people were being sent up to right. the 3SHOP, the S3, or people were being kicked out. It's like, are you going to help me? It's like, I told you I wasn't going to help you. I, I don't know what part of no you don't understand. Right. 
You already made that choice, and you made that choice with informed consent. So it's like, so. sorry, bud. Uh, pay attention at SFL tap. I, I don't want to tell you. <laughs> yeah. I have a plan. Yeah. I have a plan going out. Yeah. Uh, so for me, I started this uh, podcast because I was very um, pig-headed and very stubborn. Uh, I told you when we talked on the phone uh, a couple of days ago that I ended up getting a third grade article 15 and a general letter of reprimand, right? Which is supposed to be a career ender. Right? Everybody that was in civil affairs told me, it's like, you might as well just get out because you would never get promoted. It's like, why? It's like, well, because there's no, that's, you'll never, it's like, well, if the army has a manual that tells me how to dig a hole in the woods so I can go to the bathroom and theoretically how to survive a nuclear blast, I think there's a manual that tells me how to overcome these two things. Uh, but I was treated like garbage uh, and that's fine. Um, maybe I should have been, maybe I shouldn't have, shouldn't have been, whatever, that doesn't matter. But for me, getting out, um, I saw while in the military, when you do things that are perceived to be good, then it's a team effort and everybody wants to give you credit. They want to take credit for what you did. But if you make a mistake, it's all your fault. You're solely responsible for it. You're a bad person. Okay, so getting out, no. This is all me. The military gets no credit for this. Go away. Um, so I didn't use any of the programs. And hindsight, um, you know, some of my pig-headedness probably cost me a little bit. Um, so I just want to make sure that guys know, like, hey, man, I understand that you're upset. But, you know, the Honors Foundation, I've heard really good things about that. Um, what, what's that other one? Soda, if you see it on LinkedIn all the time. I forget what it stands for, but yeah. you always see that they're helping guys get um, internships and then they get hired on for those internships. Um, right. So, yeah, I, I think a lot of people, I mean, at, at some point, myself included, so a lot of people have a bad taste when they leave, in their mouth when they leave, you know, um, through whatever reason, uh, justified or not. But just know that if you know the rules, then you can play the game better. Yeah. Uh, and, and you still have access to all those resources after the fact. So we were talking about that, right? Uh, so I mentioned it on the last podcast, JoJo and uh, Beetlejuice. Right? Yes. JoJo's all right. He, I, I just uh, didn't care for him. I know he didn't like me because I joined the military later on in life when I was 26. So he didn't like me for that. It's like, if you're not going to like me, dislike me for being lazy or not being too bright or overthinking things. There are plenty of reasons to dislike me. real reason. No, yeah, yeah. Um, I remember at the time when he was our platoon sergeant, I, man, I didn't like that guy at all. You know, he was hard. Uh, he was a hard ass. Um, and it wasn't until years later when I was still in, and you know, I had, I had soldiers under me that some of the stuff that, that he did or that he mentioned started to click with me. And I was like, oh, now I get it. Now I get it. Um, he was, he was hard. He was a hard ass. Um, and he took things to the extreme as far as uh, he was a big fan of uh, like group punishments. I remember that. Uh, I remember, oh, what was it? It was a barracks inspection, I think, one time where somebody's room was just god awful. And it didn't matter that the rest of the platoon's rooms were spotless and you know ready for inspection. He made everybody pull all their crap out of the barracks and clean top to bottom, even if there was nothing wrong with it, and put it back in. And, you know, in my opinion, that's a, that's, that's a bit far. Um, 
but I get I get it. it. Wouldn't have been the method that I would choose to deal with, but that was that was his leadership style, you know. Well, and so for me, he was. Well, one he that was the drill sergeant mentality that he had that he couldn't let go of. Yeah, for sure. And for sure. and two, and this is what so I don't I don't think I told you, but I'm in a PhD program for global leadership, right? Because I know I'm not a leader, but I want to study leadership so I can understand it better, right? If if I was ever a leader, it wasn't because of I, I could give these great speeches to inspire people. Uh, it would be more based off of leading by example. Well, look, that moron could do it, so if he can do it, then I suppose I could do it too, right? Maybe that mentality. What I found is, like JoJo, like Beetlejuice, like I'd say 99% of the people in the military are not leaders, they're managers. Now that's my personal opinion. No, I would, I would totally and, agree with that. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's like, it, it's a different organization, right? And you, yeah. you can't have everything up to vote. You need to get things done, right? And right. 18 year me probably would have had a very hard time in the military. So I'm glad I came in when I was 26, because at least I learned how to, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Right. right. So, and you know, there are certain situations where, where managers fit the bill just fine. Yeah. Uh, most of that's in a garrison environment. When you're deployed or, or you're in a hostile area, managers don't cut it. You need actual leaders. I mean, that's where I, I always, I tell people that deployments are, like uh, deployments don't change you they just make you more of who you already are like if you're a giant asshole in real life and then you get deployed you're just going to be a bigger asshole over there you know when the stress is on um it, it just amplifies your personality traits i think uh for some people that's a good thing for others it's not you know um i've i've had the opportunity to work with all different types of quote-unquote leaders and i've had some of the worst i think you know, but I've also had some of the best. Um, and, and bad leaders are exponentially worse than good leaders are good, if that makes sense. And, and you know, the having a bad leader, it, it really, it sets the tone for everything else that's going on, you know, uh, the mood, the morale, operational symbol, whatever, it affects everything. Um, and it's just, it's so hard to recover from stuff like that. I'm sorry, I, I'm not laughing at what you're saying. When you're hearing those words coming out of your mouth, remind me of the day our tents went up in fire in Iraq. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot about that, yeah. Yeah, everything we owned <laughs> turned to smoke. I, yeah, I remember I was on, uh, I was on gate guard yeah. when that happened. And I could see the smoke from the front gate. And it was me and Snoop were up there because he was the uh, sergeant at arms, I believe, for the gate detail. <laughs> and uh, he's like, you see that smoke? And I'm looking over there with binoculars. And I was like, yeah, that looks like where our tents are. He's like, no, they can't be where the tents are. And we sure did. We walked back there after, after day duty. Everything's just a smoldering mess of where all our shit used to be at. Yeah. You know? And all I've got now was what was in my backpack that I took to gate guard with. I have nothing, no clothes. <laughs> Which I, I went down to the shop early that day, and I, I think Quinn went with me too. So we still had our uniforms, right? 
Um, but I remember it was New Year's Day, right? So it was technically a day off. Yeah. So people were asleep. There was a bunch of people. Yeah, so they ran out in their the black silkies, their ninja suits. <laughs> so for the next That's next four or five days, they're walking around the fob in black silkies. <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah, speaking of bad leadership, that, that was a direct result of bad leadership, absolutely. Because I remember... Uh, what was it? Because uh, they were they were like canvas tents, um, and to weatherproof those canvas tents, they soaked them all in kerosene and let them dry. I'm pretty sure that's what I was told. And then they had uh, local Iraqis come in and install air conditioners and substandard wiring into the side of those things so we wouldn't die. And there was some spark or something from the bad wiring that caused one of the tents to start, and then it was just a chain reaction because they were all right next to each other. I remember that meeting. It's like, we are the electronics platoon. Can we please do the wiring ourselves? No. Okay. <laughs> Ten days. Yeah. Ten days is what it lasted. <laughs> yeah. The whole point was they wanted to move us out of that uh, concrete airplane bunker that we were all yep. in, right? Because for whatever reason, they want us to move us out of a hardened structure that could resist mortar impacts easily into tents in the in the open. Which, I mean, that sounds like a great idea. I mean, we only take you know incoming rocket and mortar fire every few days. Whatever, let's, let's move into tents. Yeah, and then they just ended up moving us right back into that bunker they took us out. I try to explain to people, and people don't seem to understand this. It's like, being in the 82nd, there was like a hierarchy, right? And we seem to have been in the most hated platoon, in the most hated company, in the most hated battalion, and the most hated brigade of all of the 82nd Airborne Division. Because I remember when we, when we got to the FOB, they didn't have a place for second platoon, the electronics platoon. First platoon and third platoon were taken care of. Well, I don't know where you're gonna sleep. It's like, what do you mean, first sergeant? What do you mean you don't know where we're gonna sleep? You're the first sergeant. <laughs> Isn't that your job? Is that your job to secure us a spot? <laughs> so Mark Whitmer is like driving around the farm trying to find a place for us to stay. And then Rico Slave and Beetlejuice decide, okay, you guys seem to have figured it out. You guys are doing being productive. We don't like that, so we're going to pull you up here, and you're going to stay in these substandard tents, so we can make your life miserable. You're, you're too far away from the rest of the company area. We need you closer. We can't micromanage you if you're that far away. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah, that was that was. I don't know what that was, man. It was hilarious. Looking back on it, it's like we were more likely to die from our company leadership than anything the Iraqis <laughs> were sending at, at us. That's true, that's true, uh, yeah. Yeah, I remember standing there with the, with, the, with the commander amongst the smoldering ashes where my cot used to be. And I looked over at him, I'm like, well, sir, sure glad we moved out of the bunker. <laughs> and, you know, I, what was that? I was an E4 at the time. You know, I, I had no business talking like that to the company commander. But you know what? He couldn't say shit because I was right. Yeah. <laughs> he knew my heart, you know? He had nothing to say because it was 
It was an awful decision. I remember they brought the chaplain over. It's like we're all standing out there in, in formation because, right, you have to have a formation so you can stand and watch your stuff burn. And they're like, okay, we're going to bring the chaplain over so you guys, if anyone wants to talk to the chaplain, it's like, you better go get a whole platoon of chaplains, right? Because I have a lot to say. I have thoughts. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I try to tell people I enjoy, I, I complain a lot because that's who I am. I'm a complainer, right? I, I don't run from who I am anymore. That's who I am. I'm not the happiest person on the planet. That's just my personality, right? And um, But I, I enjoy my time in the military, but I view it as an opportunity uh, because back in California, I was going nowhere fast. Um, and that's not based off of my parents. That's based off of just the environment where I grew up. If you were able to get into college, if you didn't graduate, if you, for whatever reason, then that was your one and only chance. That's how people viewed it. So if you didn't graduate, then you better go get a minimum paying job because that's going to be the rest of your life. Right. So the army actually helped me like open up my mind and view that, oh, I don't have just one chance. I have as many chances as I, chances as I need. 10,000, a million, sure. whatever. And if I make a mistake, well, okay. So what? So what? I'll get up yeah. try again. Yeah. No, like you saying, same. I was, you know, like I said, when I when I first got funding, I was a slug, you know. Um, I I I didn't really I didn't have a plan before I joined the army, um, and I was I was a piece of crap, you know. I I wasn't I hadn't made the best decisions in my life up to that point. I didn't I hadn't had a lot of structure, so I needed that, you know. It was it was good for me to have a structured environment for a while, um, and it, it allowed me time to develop a plan and and learn some skills that are, you know, valuable out in the, in the civilian world at the end of the day. And, and I learned more about myself than anything else, you know, in my time in the Army. Um, I think people, people often sell themselves short on what they're able to accomplish because they haven't been pushed at all. You know? um, people are capable of far more than, than they think, both, you know, mentally and physically. Um, when, when, when you have a need, um, your, your body will overcome to, to fulfill that need, you know, I think. In your mind as well, your mind as well. So much of life is a, you know, a mentality, a mental game. If you, if you don't have what it takes from a mental standpoint, from a state of mind, you've kind of already lost the battle, you know. And, and, it, and it's easy to lose sight of that. I know I've, I've lost sight of that in the past. You know, it, it's easy to feel sorry for yourself. It's easy to be like, oh, shucks. You know, I failed or whatever, and now I guess I'm useless. Um, it's easy to fall into that, just kind of that death spiral of, you know, uh, uh, negative thinking and about yourself. It's very easy, especially with everything that life has to throw at everybody. You know, life life's hard, especially if you make the wrong decisions. You know? But it doesn't have to. Be. And even if you make the wrong decisions, you can change that. You can make some better decisions. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's, you know, there's up until the day you expire, you've got another chance to turn around and, and make something else out of it. There's always, there's always room to change and grow. So I, uh, you know, you're talking about how you have to be, um, you know, 
have the right frame of mind, right? Um, so in this program, they're giving us this opportunity to write a chapter for a published book, right? And the people in my cohort, there's like six or seven of us that are left from the original 12 that started. And I was going to decide that I'm going to write my own chapter. And somebody had the idea, hey, well, let's all work together and we can write a chapter and we can all add our names to it. Of course, the arrogant asshole that I am, first thing out of my mouth was, no, I will have all the glory or no, or no glory at all. <laughs> then I thought, well, why am I making my life hard? It's like these are uh, five other people who are very intelligent and have knowledge on things that I don't have knowledge of. So why not work together? And yeah, what do I care if I'm the last name in the chapter? I still get my name in a book. It's published. Right, you're still, you're yeah. Uh, what do I care? Right. At work, um, we're uh, you know I'm a geopolitical analyst, and uh, we're doing this. A, a book is being uh, printed out, right? Or coming out with a book. They asked if I wanted to do a, a chapter on cultures of Latin America and with from an American perspective. I'm like, oh, yeah, stupid. <laughs> like, why would you not? Why would you say anything but yes? People are trying to get published in books, and these are being thrown at me. And I'm like, oh, more work to do. Like, like, what was me? That, like, that's a first world problem. Like, you know, right, yeah, and, totally. and for me, that was the biggest problem I had transitioning out of the military was just changing my mentality because I learned a long time ago in the military that if anybody asks you anything, you just say no automatically. Say no because what they're going to want that? you to do something. Stay clear, yeah. don't volunteer. <laughs> the sham shield, right? Yeah. Yeah, the uh, the E4 Mafia. So instead of doing that, why not just say, you know, be the yes man? Yeah, sure. Why not? I'll, yeah, I'll, okay. Yeah, that's definitely a double-edged sword. Uh, because uh, both being the yes man and, and never volunteering for anything, that can that can screw you either way, you know. Uh, or not to screw you, but you can, you can miss an opportunity that you might not have otherwise had. So I would say selectively, for sure. Uh, weigh, weigh the options uh, uh, on, on whether you, you do or you don't. And, and, and you know, try, try to think of those second third order effects from it. Because, yeah, you might have to, you know, uh, suck wind doing this task you don't want to do, but two steps down the road that could lead to something that you never even imagined. It's, it's, it's hard trying to, trying to think, of, you know, basically, you know, playing chess instead of checkers. You gotta, you know, critical thinking is, for me, I think one of the most important skills that a person can have. Um, being able to use logic and, and see where something is going to go before you get there. Um, because that helps you in all aspects of life. If you're able to think, or if you're able to know how to think, instead of having to be told what to think, you're ahead of probably 90% of the audience, you know? Because those are those are those are skills that are hard to teach, uh, and what someone has set in their way is this harder thing that's happening. No, that's great. It, we have two different perspectives. Well, not perspectives, but for me, my biggest problem was just like 
just stop being an ass, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and so here's a, a little example, right? There was this, uh, people come by, I live in this new neighborhood, right? They're still building houses. So people are, are come by because they're constantly trying to sell stuff. And the first... Oh, they're trying to sell solar. I, I live in a similar Solar power. Do you want us to do your lawn? You know, there's a lot of crickets and they're true. There are a lot of crickets out here. It's like, we can do this. We can do that. You want this. You want that. You want a deck built out there. It's like, just, I just want to be left alone when I come home from work. Right. And I've told yeah. people, don't come here again. I'm going to shoot you. Right. <laughs> I, I've said that. I, and I know I've said it. It's rude. They're just trying to earn a living. Right. There's no need to say that to them. Right. But uh, about three weeks ago, there was this young boy, probably about 10. It was pouring. You know how here in North Carolina, it, it can be real light or sometimes like, oh, sweet Jesus, this looks like a monsoon, right? Well, it was pouring like that. And he's walking from house to house selling tickets for a raffle for his baseball team. See, like at that point, you just have to respect them. Well, and his dad is in a truck trailing him to make sure... Nobody nabs him, you know? It was like, I don't carry cash on me because, like, why would I carry cash? Everything's cash. I rarely I was running around this house trying to find money. I asked him, how much are the, <laughs> the tickets? And he's like, $10. Like, how many do you have left? It's like, I have three. So I'm running. I was like, do you take euros? It's like, and he's looking at me like, what? You jackass? <laughs> What it's like, there? how about a Colombian pesos? Like, how about this currency from overseas, right? Can I give you some Iraqi <laughs> dinars? I told him, it's like, hey, I have some Saddam dinars. Would would that like, uh, no? I found thirty dollars, <laughs> and uh, I was notified today. Hey, you won the raffle, right? So, so it's a it's a rifle, right? This hunting rifle. I'm gonna go pick it up, but I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna sell that. And I'm going to give that money to his baseball team. Oh, that's cool. That's because that cool. young man was out in a monsoon Sally Raffle tickets. Yeah, that's, that's, that kind of heart is hard to find. You know? I didn't want to open the door. Like, he, could have just waited. He, he could have just waited for the next day when it wouldn't have been raining. But he's like, no, i got to do this. You know? And so for me, just to like... Opening the door was hard enough because when people knock, it's like, I don't even want to get up. I don't want to get up. I don't want to go over there. So I looked through the peephole. And I was like, what the hell? I had to look down. There's no one there. And I was like, hi, my name is, uh, would you like to buy a ticket for my baseball team? It's like, okay. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on the, uh, I do not like unannounced visitors at my house at all. Uh, nine times out of ten, I'm just going to leave you standing on the door and I'm not answering the door. I'll check the cameras. If you have a clipboard in your hand, I'm not talking to you. Sorry. Just turn around. Go away. Um, yeah. I, I, we, we deal with a lot of the same thing right now. The, the door to door stuff. People tell them stuff just because they like, they flock to new neighborhoods like Piranha. You know. um, but some of them, you know, some of them I will open the door for. Um, before I joined the army, I did a lot of stuff in sales, telesales, and stuff like that. So I like sometimes I like to hear the give me the pitch, yeah. you know. And then I'll I'll give them a little critique on the pitch, you know. And and some of them are actually really receptive to it, and and some of them 
are not. You know, I actually ended up setting a meeting with a solar a kid who was you know selling solar door to door, because his pitch was good. It was really good. You know, um, I didn't want solar, uh, but I was like, sure, I'll take a meeting. I was like, I don't want solar, but I'll take a meeting. He was like, uh, okay, thanks, but no thanks. Anyway, uh, weird tangents. No, that's great. So, you know, I, I when I give my briefs, I have to teach. Like, there's a lot of young soldiers in there, right? PSYOP soldiers. Well, PSYOP soldiers are just like SF. They can come straight from right off of the street. They don't have to be in the military for a certain amount of time. So you might have somebody in there who's 20 years old. And when we have our discussions or briefs, they're like, I used to give out the anonymous critique, and I don't do it anymore. It's like, you go off on tangents, and this is like, it's wasting my time. It's like, so I don't, you, you're 20 years old, and I've heard you in class talking about, like, yeah, I just want to get out of here so I can go pound a six-pack. Um, I don't know if that's really wasting your Who's time. Wasting who? You know, <laughs> um, but if you're not like used to just talking about nothing when you're overseas, you might want to get there um, because overseas, they're not American, buddy. Right. People like to talk about nothing. And like, no, that's not how it is. Okay. Don't listen to the guy who's been there. And I don't worry about that. That's the best thing about being retired is like, I'm not paid to be your team sergeant, your platoon sergeant. Anything like that. I'm giving you the information. You use it or don't. Right. No shots. <laughs> yeah. Have fun. Don't get shot. So we're at about an hour now. And, you know, I really want to thank you for coming on. You know, I think guys would. It's hard for people to understand that when they're in the military, there's this idea that like transition is going to be seamless that there's a line of employers waiting at the gate for them right and it's not necessarily true um, I had this one e7 uh, 42 alpha got who was upset at me because I said you your resume looks good but you don't have any certifications or education on there he's like well so what I mean I've been doing human resources for 20 years it's like been a secretary for 20 years, buddy. I don't know how to break this to you, but HR in the army isn't really HR. Like you process the pay. Like you might be EO trained, but it not it isn't necessarily um, the H, the 42 alpha that is. It could be anybody in the unit. It's like if you want me to tell you that you're going to get a job right away, then just tell me that. But if you want like feedback, it's like you need some sort of certification or civilian ed. Or just have a good network. Right, yeah. Oh. And not just not just your own network, but your network's network. Um, yeah, because that the the what is the adage? It's not it's not what you know, it's who yeah. you know. That that you know, that's where so many opportunities come from. It comes from people that you know, people that you network with, people that you've met, whatever. You went to a conference and got a business card and you know, connected with somebody on LinkedIn six months ago, and that could turn into your current job, you know. Um, it, and it's, the more you cultivate those relationships now, the bigger dividends it's going to pay off in the end. Um, I, would, I would absolutely recommend that people start building out that network of contacts before they leave, 
get the military, you know, um, start start looking way earlier than you think you need to look because it's going to give you a good visualization of the job landscape out there and what you need, what the trends are, because it's constantly changing. Because there's 10 other people just like you, maybe more, maybe 100 other people just like you applying for that job. And if, if you don't stand out in some way, if you're not unique uh, and provide, you know, a, a, a clear value, you're going to end up at, you know, the bottom of the stack or in the, the circular file next to the desk, you know? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of competition out there, and it's 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 not just a, a straight shot most of the time. There's there's a lot of bumps in that road that you have to be prepared for. Yeah, definitely. Um, me, I'm just trying to write out the next five years, and then, like I said, I'm moving to the South Pacific. I I you get a good boat. I don't know. Maybe haven't right now. The plan is to just lay out on a beach and have a sign that says I am not a beached whale don't try to push me back into the ocean <laughs> they'd be like Captain yeah. Ron <laughs> given boat tours I, 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 I could see that I would love to well see. I was thinking of uh, at the ending of the Shawshank Redemption oh yes uh, yeah. yeah yeah I love that movie man I've seen that movie a thousand times I that that yeah, line is ingrained in my head it's like you've come this far I was wondering if you'd be willing to come a little, little farther. Yes. No, that's yes. Perfect. That's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah, love that movie. Um, actually, I just heard a trivia fact about that movie the other day. Is that um, it, the question was what what nineteen ninety four uh, critical success movie only has uh, two women in it and only one with a speaking role of like five seconds that movie. I mean, yeah. it makes sense. It's, you know, the 1930s and most of it takes place inside a male prison. So obviously, but it was, it was just an interesting fact. Yeah. I had never even noticed that. Yeah. I didn't either until I heard that question. I was like, Oh, that's true. There's like one shot of Andy Dufresne's wife at the beginning. Uh, and then the bank teller at the end. Yes, I will mail this out for you. And that's it. <laughs> All right, Tim, so we're at a minute, I mean, an hour and six minutes. Um, so before we sign off, uh, as always, um, is there any business or anything that you'd like to promote? And do you have any shout outs for anybody? Um, I do have a, a couple of shout outs. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't shout out uh, Chris Harris, uh, just to return the favor. Sparky, uh, crazy, multiple nicknames that, uh, that he has gone by over the years for various reasons. Um, and my beautiful, wonderful wife, uh, Kylie, who puts up with my craziness um, and, and is supportive in everything that I do. I, I, I couldn't do it without her, for sure. Right. I think, and to you for having me on. I really have no, no problem. Um, like I said, um, I like having people on here that I think are value added to the veteran community. More importantly, I like having people on here that I trust. Um, because I've had multiple people reach out. It's like, hey, I want to be on the podcast. Like, I don't know you, bro. Like, what do you, like, wow, I want to talk about this real estate uh, opportunity. It's like, uh, I'm not going to have a veteran lose all of his money because you have some sort of pyramid scheme going on. Right. Oh, did I mention it's a multi-level market? <laughs> no. Um, no, no, yeah, I, I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy I could have been on, I do be on here and I hope that I 
if I provided some information or valuable insight to somebody, then I'm, I'm happy about that. You have. There are a lot of people out there who are struggling, one, to find jobs, two, struggling with mental health issues, and people are just not ashamed, not too proud. I don't know what the word is, but they're just not seeking assistance. And it's, if you need to seek assistance, you need help in something, just reach out. Like, who cares? Like, why are you going to live in a lower quality of life because you can't figure everything out yourself? Right, and that's one thing that we really didn't, I didn't really touch on was mental health and all this in this episode, but it, it's definitely, you know, everybody at some point has some kind of mental health struggles from whatever, you know, situation happened in their life. And yeah, it's, it's uh, I, I think it comes down to a pride thing a lot of the time, not wanting to admit that you have a problem. Um, for me, this I'll, I'll leave this story for another time, but it was, I remember there was a specific moment where I was like, "Oh, oh, that just happened. I I need to, I need to go seek talk to a professional because it scared the crap out of me." You know? um, but maybe maybe we can have that conversation some other time. Yeah, um, hopefully, what I'm hoping for, because um, I know you you were saying you travel a lot, but possibly next time I can have you and Chris on here at the same time. Oh, that'd be so. Awesome. I mean, you know, hopefully Chris remembers the time and the date and. He isn't watching whatever, <laughs> drinking a beer. <laughs> oh, man. That's my story. Uh, but so my next guest I'm going to have on, uh, he was actually an instructor at the schoolhouse, at the Sockham Schoolhouse. And I give Mike a lot of credit um, because he has this class that he gives to everybody who goes through the refresher. Every two years, you have to go recertify. And he'll give this class on, like, if you have mental health issues, like, Go. Right, and he'll tell us the story of like how he realized like he needed help because he was um, survived this explosion and like the top layer of skin was burned off of his face, right? Oh, um, man, that, yeah, I just yeah, but it was he said it was like a really bad sunburn, um, but he said like he he realized that he needed help. Somebody brought it to his attention. And it's like so he would he gives this class and he's like hey stupid and he puts it that way talking to everybody in the class hey stupid if you need help go get it right and he would tell us like he would show us like his MOS is 18 Zulu and then it would have like everything he's like and he would point one thing out right he's like you see this that's aerosol you know how many jobs that helped me get when I retired zero <laughs> <laughs> Nobody cares about all this junk. <laughs> it's like, so go to school. If you're not in school, go to school. If you're in school, go some more. It's like, all right, okay. <laughs> That's a great point, actually, though. You know, not not one of my employers since I left the military was like, oh, you're a paratrooper? Oh, let me give you a raise. No, nobody, nobody gives a shit. So that's, you know, I finished my master's. I was like, okay, I think I'm done. Took about six months off, retired, realized I had all this time. I needed to do something, so why not a PhD? And that fill up my fills up my time now. Nice, nice. Congratulations so, on that. Like I said, I, I told my granddaughter, once I graduate, you're gonna call me Dr. Grandpa. <laughs> I like and, that. Uh, so for my shout outs, talking about Instagram famous, 
uh, I joke, my board of directors is uh, my granddaughter and Taco. Taco is a French bulldog from Mexico. My friend's uh, pet, right? Um, Taco has an Instagram page, Tuesday Con Taco. Taco has about 17,000 followers on Instagram. He's a French bulldog. He's my hero. And I like to give shout outs to Taco every time because he's the board, he's on the board of directors. I was going to get him a company card, but I didn't know how I could explain to him. I expressed that I needed a card just with the name Taco. Yeah. So I figured I'd <laughs> you know, yeah, drop it. Just like Madonna or Cher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here. Uh, 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 feel free to use this if you want to, because I know like when, when we were in the 82nd, uh, you know, we were all, almost always probably on a last name basis or whatever. We used to you used to go by Rod or A-Rod yeah. sometimes. You should call it the Rodcast. So everybody who knew me in when I was in the military, if I liked you, can continue to call me Rod, right, or A-Rod. They don't want people to have to change all of a sudden. But, and this is, on one of the episodes I explained this, it's like, I hated that. I okay, hated okay. the butchering of my last name. <laughs> never no, said because it's like I, people are like, man, he's grouchy. It's like, maybe I'm grouchy because I'm holding a lot of shit in. <laughs> I totally get that. And what I really hated is going overseas, or maybe having a first sergeant who would pronounce my name Rodriguez. Well, there's a D in there, and it's there's a Z. It's <laughs> not an S. It's like if you can't pronounce my name, then have somebody else say my name. Right, or ask yeah. me how to pronounce it. I, because of the E in my name, I run into that all the time too. Eges, Eges, you know, it's like, no, no, the E is silent. Rodrigues, I got that a lot. Rodrigues, it's like, I'm not Brazilian. It's not Rodrigues. (laughs) Do I look Portuguese to you? Um, So, no, for everybody who knew me before, I liked, yeah, that's fine. Um, But now it's either address me as Tony Antonio, because that's my actual name. And I had people ask me, why Antonio? Uh, because it's my name. Because that's my name. You idiot. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> that comes out out loud. I'm trying to say it in my head, but it comes out loud. <laughs> or Mr. Rodriguez will work. Right, right. No, I'll, I'll stick yeah. with Tony. That's, so, that's the only reason why I don't like, because that, the shortening of my name was, that was military life. And I'm past that. No, makes perfect sense. So, right. So, for everybody out there, just remember you have something that makes you special, makes you unique. Please just, you know, identify what that is and maximize it to your fullest potential. And I know you'll be successful. Until next time, take it easy. I'm Tony. This is Diggs. Tim Diggs. Not Diggies. All right. So, we'll talk to you later. Zot, zot, zot. And roll tide.